Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Spiritual Underground Podcast just a second. It is uh, primarily a 12-step recovery-based podcast. And in that, we're going to talk about stopping drugs and alcohol and other various things that uh, that that we find uh, as crutches to deal with this crazy thing called life. Uh, speaking of that, we also, uh, here in the Louisville area, and you can come to it on Zoom too, we have a program here in Louisville, Kentucky, where it's, that's called 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, where you don't have to have a drug problem or alcohol problem or a sex problem or a gambling problem or any of the other 100 12-step fellowships that are titled like that. Uh, these 12-step tools will work for you. As I say so often, I can guarantee you that if you will work these steps and practice these principles in your life, your life's going to get better. Uh, so that is 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. You can find the meeting schedule. And 12 Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn is the book uh, that can be found on Amazon. So uh, thank you, Darren Frank, for the music that you allowed me to play here. Uh, prayers for him. He's gone through a, another event and uh, looks like he's back on the rebound again. So that's good news. And uh, prayers for him and for everybody out there. Um, my guest today, that's what we want to do. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed last week's podcast, too. Uh, sometimes I like having people in here to just talk about doing things called life, and I really enjoy talking to uh, Dr. John's, or Dr. Don St. John. Uh, we have a completely different backgrounds, and but, but it's interesting to watch how these 12-step, the philosophies that are underneath the 12-steps are, are being used essentially in, in most programs at some level or another, just the parallel thing of... Uh, of uh, how to live but my guest today brian uh i met him at the spiritual underground uh did you come in and zoom um i like yeah the COVID era initially i did yeah. um it was right smack dab in the middle of it so yeah, we were still on because yeah. that always causes like a little bit of a funny thing there's a i don't know i like being with people i prefer people come here like you are today and do the podcast like this uh, i can do it through zoom but I like the energy of other people, and that's the one thing that I missed during the Zoom era, the COVID era, was that staring there and on that box all the time. It felt hard to know people in the beginning, you know. Uh, so, and so, kudos to you for uh, making it through that because uh, that's an extra challenge. Is getting, I, I believe, uh, as we would, everybody here would know. Ross is here today too. Uh, there's something about the energy, like when you come to a spiritual underground meeting and even people that haven't ever come and they're zooming and they show up, they're like, wow, you know, something is different. And uh, there is something different about that. And it's, a, it's like a little bit of a handicap as far as I'm concerned. What is your sobriety date? Uh, February 19th of 21 um, is, is the date. 21. So that cost over two years, just a couple of few. Well, time just goes so fast today that... Uh, it feels like a couple months ago to me or a month or so uh it's crazy and uh grandma was right when she said that uh time speeds up as you get older and uh and i think time speeds up when you get sober i don't really it probably speeds up if you stay drunk too but uh <laughs> it, it, one thing is this, I, I have less care about time today uh i guess at some level i'll, I'll 
you know, Bill says in a book that we make a heavy going out of life. And uh, I think getting too concerned with time is one way I made a heavy going of it. Uh, always concerned that I was either too early, too late, or I missed it. And uh, just going with the flow things today is, is a whole lot easier way. Um, but as you know, we've seen, you know, I don't know, I, I should, I'm a numbers guy and I want to keep track of things. I keep track of the number of fist steps I do. I keep track of the number of podcasts I do. I keep track of numbers. I know that I started on my 71st book today of this year. Uh, that's impressive. And I wish I'd have counted how many people come through the spiritual underground versus how many, you know, how many stuck and how many didn't. Uh, but we have a great track record, you know. In June, we celebrated. We would should have really. We celebrated six, five, uh, six one year. Six people hit their three sixty five in June, and that's amazing. I'll bet you can't find another group around that has that many people hitting. And it's not like it's an anomaly either, you know. It wasn't like we we don't ever have anybody, and everybody got sober the same month. Right. Um, we celebrate a lot of birthdays on a regular basis. But um, did you grow up around here? Where did you born? Um, I did. I was born and raised um, in Louisville. Um, actually, we were uh, my. F- I was born. I lived in Fairdale, um, and thank God, when I was two years old, um, we moved from Fairdale over to the Highlands. Um, that's where I spent my my childhood. Pull that microphone a little bit closer. You can, you don't have to lean on it. You can stay back. Just all you do is pull it closer. Gotcha. Um, that's another funny thing is all these towns that are in Louisville that are no longer, you know, but we still use them. Uh, working over as much as I have lately, I started, I'm starting to finally understand what is what. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't stand over somewhere and tell you I'm in Fairdale uh, or I'm in Valley Station or Pleasure Ridge Park or Shively or uh, most people want to tell me when I say where are you located. That's the terminology they'll use, and I like that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> you might as well told me Mars. Oh, have you brothers and sisters? Um, I do. I have an older brother that's just under um, two years older than me, <clears throat> and then there's a gap. Um, I have a younger brother that's four years younger than me, and a younger sister who's six years younger than me. So there was together. Um, we did. Um, my it, it's funny. My dad always used to say, "You can tell when me and your mom were fighting." Um, that four year gap between me and my younger brother. Um, so it was my older brother and I, like a little less than two years apart, and then my brother, younger brother, and younger sister. Um, they were kind of like that same, you know, um, just under two years apart as well. Oh. Uh, how was growing up? Uh, man, growing up was, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say I had, you know, this grand, happy childhood, but um, to, to get it out there, you know, my father's one of us as well. Um, so um, at a young age, um, dad worked third shift um, at the post office. So. Um, I can remember, you know, many mornings as a kid, you know, we, I, I went to Catholic grade school that was two blocks from, from my house. So we would get up and we'd walk to school every day. Um, and we'd walk home. Um, and there was, uh, there was many times where, you know, we would wake up early and then mom would have to leave for a few minutes, um, while we were getting ready to, to go get dad. 
Oh, um, really? From his, uh, there was a, a a joint back behind the post office that Dad liked to frequent. You know, it's even though after it was work. yeah, even though it was six o'clock in the morning, it's after work for him. You know, so uh, that that's a vivid memory of of when I was you know um, young. Um, that you know, waking up to that and mom saying she'd be right back, um, and then things weren't so great when they when they got back. Um, but did you know what was up, or was um, I didn't at at the time? Um, it, it took a few years to to kind of know. You know, when uh, we'd get home from school, dad would be asleep on the couch um, or sleep upstairs, and um, we learned real quick, you know, not to. Uh, not to be loud, not to wake dad up because when we did it, he wasn't real, you know, always pleasant. Yeah. You know, he, he was trying to sleep, you know, cause he had to get back up and go back to work. Um, so that was a, a daily occurrence, you know, yeah, waking up a drinker is never going to be, it's well, I'll tell you it's a, it makes this deal where you got the roll of the dice, right? You never know what you're going to get. So exactly. Um, so we would, um, and, and back then, I mean, uh, we were kids, you know, we'd get home from school and we'd go down to the next block over, you know, and play baseball in the street and do stuff. So we, uh, if, you know, the, the fear of waking him up wasn't enough, we wanted to, we wanted to be outside playing anyway. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of how it went, you know, as, is uh, you know, younger to and from school and stuff getting home. Yeah. Well, do you recall like when your using drinking started? Um, I don't know that I remember the exact first time. Um, it was probably seventh grade um, ish. Um, we were we were those people. Um, well, let me go back to this. So, due to my dad's, you know, having this disease that that I have, um, my folks divorced when I was twelve years old. Um, I'll never forget. I was kneeling on the couch, um, looking out the front window and saw dad get in the cab. Um, and, uh, he went to JDAC for a 30 day inpatient. Um, so he came back and then they split, you know, dad left. So there was a lot of time for us kids to be at home by ourselves. Um, mom took on three jobs. Um, and about six months after, um, they split and, and divorced my older brother. I was 12 at the time. So he was 13 going on 14, um, decided that he wanted to go and, and live with my dad. Um, so I, uh, I was kind of left to be the, um, caregiver for my brother and sister, um, for, for a while. And I had a lot of time by myself. Um, you know, we'd come home from school. Mom would get off her first job and drop us off a sack full of White Castle or the 25-cent Taco Bell, and then off she'd go hmm. um, to work. Um, so I didn't have a lot of supervision um, in the evening times. I mean, we had babysitters, you know, sometimes. But, you know, I'm 13, 14. I'm, I guess I was capable of being responsible enough to to take care of my, my, my siblings. But I remember there was a, uh, another guy, um, one of my friends in, in grade school with one of the cool kids, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I, uh, had a hard time in grade school, you know, that whole, didn't feel like I fit in, um, wasn't a part of, um, so we, we hung out a few times, man. And it, it's really weird. Like my, my first, uh, 
actual experience with the substance was uh, lighter fluid on a rag. Oh, wow. Huffing. Huffing. Um, we went over to, it was like his aunt's house or something. I, I, I still remember, I, I could take you to the house right now. Um, but we would sit up in, in the attic and spray that stuff on a rag and just get the wall, 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 wall. Yeah. Um, makes my stomach turn. It, it makes it, it makes my stomach turn too. Um, so that was my first actual experience with uh, you know feeling different um, and and doing something because this cool this kid was cool man and and uh, I'm gonna do what he does. Um, that didn't last too long. Uh, I can smell it now sitting here talking about it. It's weird. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Um, now looking back, would you still call him the cool kid? No, man. Like. Because, uh, like, I look back at those guys today, man, and ultimately now I know what they were was giant red flags. Absolutely. But for some reason, I was attracted to that, you know, and I <clears throat> can't explain why. But the the dark dudes and the dudes who were getting into trouble, as a matter of fact, you know, the, both of the guys that were my best friends back then and the guys that led me down this path, and both of them have passed. Yeah, yeah, they didn't make it. Yeah, I uh, I like to say I didn't know no better, but I, I you know I think back on it and I knew when I, I mean I I knew I had that feeling that it was wrong, um, but I just didn't care. It's interesting that uh, you know it, it was attractive, but it shouldn't have been. Absolutely. Um, my first alcohol experience um, was there was a girl that lived a couple blocks up the road over by Tyler Park actually and. Are you talking about alcohol or girls? Um, alcohol. <laughs> well, yeah, this time alcohol. Um, so we, uh, she came from a split family too, and it was weird. Like you know, at the school I went to, um, divorce was like you know, bad, 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 and there wasn't a lot of kids in in my school that had divorced parents. Um, but this girl did. So and uh, so anyway, we would we would hang out at her house, and I just remember one night going over there with another guy friend of mine. It wasn't the same guy. Um, and it was a, a red solo cup. We were the, their parents were or her mom was gone and Johnny Walker Black and early times just mixed together in a red solo cup. It's not mixed. It was awful. But we, we took it in, in a cup. So not too much goes down in any one bottle. Right. I don't know what we were thinking, but gosh, we uh so we walked Bargetown Road, you know, that night and sipped on that and sipped on that and i got back home and it was uh maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night it wasn't super late and my bedroom was upstairs and it was two sets of stairs there was like six six steps and then a landing and then like eight steps and i made it to the landing and i threw up everywhere um and of course my mom's like oh my god and you can imagine the stench of that stuff um so my, I think my mom and maybe my younger brother, they cleaned it up and I went upstairs and, um, passed out. Um, and then the next morning it, I, I really didn't have any, you know, my mom was like, I'm really disappointed. Um, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, won't happen again. And I think she just chalked it up to like just kid being a kid, but hell I'm 12, maybe 13 at the oldest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still in grade school. Um, so nothing was ever was said about it after that um but it was uh yeah that's uh 
that that's my first experience with with feeling that feeling and and, and getting sick um, and feeling terrible the next day. Um, but there was something about it that was cool, um, that felt good walking around with a with a cup of liquor, um, like yeah, a like a badass. The um, euphoric recall thing, where I don't think about the puking and feeling like crap. I remember the walking down the street. Absolutely. Um, with the world at my fingers and no consequences you know so um, yeah but you know uh, you think about that and I was sitting here but you know it really probably wouldn't make any difference if you'd have got it grounded for three years uh, or have no consequences I don't know that there would have been a difference yeah uh, I, I sometimes look back and wonder if some of my consequences were steeper had maybe that would have slowed me down <clears throat> and uh I really don't think it would have. Yeah, it uh when I look back on the the thirty plus years that I did it, there was never a consequence that made a difference. Um I finally had one. But yeah, um I wonder about that. Because I skated through DUIs and I skated through other kind of trouble and mm-hmm. it really never was a big deal. Yeah. And uh I don't know. I think you're I, I, that because you you know okay so I, my mom is real hard on me when I'm 12 because of that right you know well then I'm just gonna do it out of spite you know uh, I might accelerate it because uh, I'll show her <laughs> right <laughs> so that was the first time you can recall. Yeah. This is interesting, too, because I threw up the first time I recall, too. Now, I had sips off Dad's beers and that kind of stuff, but the first time I actually got drunk and on purpose, uh, more or less on purpose, I mean, it wasn't like I knew what was going to happen. Can't really say that first time's on purpose, uh, but I drank on purpose, and I overshot the mark, and I puked all over the place, and I've had a few people... uh, uh, tell that similar story. There's a bell ringer, what I call bell ringers, where these same kind of events happen. Yeah, it and definitely, you know, with with dad being the way he was, um, you know, I can remember, you know, go fetch me a beer out of the fridge and, you know, taking a sip or two, you know, between the kitchen and the living room. Did it ever occur um, to you that I wasn't going to be like dad? Um, no, not, not at that not at that age by any means um uh you know it was it was cool uh you know around that same time it doesn't sound like your dad was like one of them real (laughs) jerky alcohol you know some people have some horror story stuff um no there wasn't anything um as far as like physically yeah i got whooped with a belt on on more than one occasion um whether i deserved it i don't know probably maybe um but as far as people with silver dads yeah, I mean, as far as there, there was no, there was never any physical abuse. Yeah, that's, I mean, that nightmare kind of thing. Some people do have that. You know, yeah, their parent was a holy nightmare of an addict or alcoholic. You know, and uh, sometimes, like, I, <clears throat> you know, I may be speaking out of hand in a way, and that, but I've talked to my children. I was not like a monster. I was an alcoholic dad, and I had a whole lot of shortfalls, but I wasn't a monster to them you know and but some people have that yeah and i mean it 
it just depends you know i don't know my, my mom may tell a different story i mean i know i'm not speaking of, of physical abuse by any means but just the the whole you know the the living nightmare of have you know of of dealing with that on a on a daily basis um because kids, kids really don't know what to do with it right i mean no you're stuck <laughs> no i mean and i i can vividly see um anytime we'd go to christmas or thanksgiving or, or go to his you know any kind of family deal they we would always drive separate oh, really? and i can i can see it plain as day today um us and mom riding in the car dad in front of us um going down taylorsville road to turn right on the bardstown road and him hopping up on the curve and my mom goes you know just oh. just watching out the front window dad trying to get home hmm. um and it, it it happened we we always rode separate um for that reason mom wouldn't put us in the car with them huh. yeah i it's an interesting dynamic of the kids who grow up in that who are like teetotalers who are not going to do that because it was an example hmm. and those of us who uh followed right down the path yeah um so how to go did you did you how how did it progress from there as far as oh it was uh, drinking more often or did you take a break and say uh -uh?" i definitely didn't take a break um i mean that wasn't an every weekend thing Um, it's it's kind of hard when you're a little kid (laughs) yeah i mean around 12 13 you know i I played baseball um like all four of us kids did over at germantown little league so the summertime we lived over there um one of us was playing ball at a certain time and i got to be buddies with a guy on my team um and would stay over at his house you know every weekend or so and we'd go down to his basement and grab a coors light and he'd get some peach schnapps you know and we'd sit down there and, and play old commodore 64 video games and um you know would would drink you know a couple beers each and drink peach schnapps and and orange juice um <clears throat> to the fi- to to the point where i you know i would we were drinking to to get drunk i mean it didn't take too much then um and that was a not an every weekend thing but probably in every other every other weekend i'd stay over there anytime i'd stay um we'd definitely go down there and you know cough real loud when you open the beer so they wouldn't hear you upstairs um and um i mentioned too after you know my parents divorced after like six months my older brother went to move with my dad well my older brother like six months after he went to rehab correct after they split um because my my brother had had gotten into a crowd that was um less than desirable um his using um and drinking you know really escalated they had an old garage band well he he went to live with my dad because dad worked night works and he didn't have any supervision yeah um you know mom worked hard to put us all through catholic grade schools and and all through you know private high schools um my brother flunked out of of saint x went to atherton quit going um but the reason I, I say all this is because he introduced me you know they would be over there um they'd set a band up in the garage um during the days you know when mom was at work and stuff in the summer and um my brother bought me my first hit of acid um when i was 13 years old he said here's one for your brother or here's one for you and here's one for your buddy he's you know take half of it you know um don't take the whole thing so we take half of it and uh 
you know, 45 minutes later, we don't feel nothing. You know, we don't feel nothing took the other half. Well, there it went. Um, my brother introduced me to, to, to LSD. Um, and there was this, we were always walking around the neighborhood and there was this place on Bargetown road, a, a sandwich shop and right behind it. And to this day, I'm guessing it was some kind of halfway house. Um, but this guy Birdman, um, that's where my brother would go and they'd knock on this door. It was like a halfway house. And this guy Birdman, who was that mental health issues, um, everybody that lived there, Hey, walk across the street and get me a 12 pack of beer, Birdman. Okay. Yeah. He'd go there and, and get it. Well, he introduced me to Birdman. So now anytime I needed, you know, alcohol, we'd just go see Birdman. Um, and he would he would walk across the street, get a twelve pack, and come back and give it to us, and, and for nothing. Like it's we didn't give him any money. I don't know. I, I still to this day don't understand that whole dynamic. But we had um, a few people around here like that. And I, you know, when I say around here, it really was around here. These people who would get us kids alcohol. You know, it's like. You know, what is up with that? You know, you said this guy's not all there. No. So, you know, you go, okay, I, but like some of these guys, there's no way in the hell they, you know, it's like, what were they doing? You know, I think about one in particular, I wonder today if he didn't have some kind of, uh, he, he might end, it could have been trouble. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, there's a chance one of us could have had something happen to us while we was over hanging around with him. He had a bunch of albums that had like dirty songs on them. <laughs> And uh, and he would play these dirty songs for us, you know, and and he really wanted us to stay there too, which is thinking back how I felt creeped out then, but like today I think how creepy that is that this old dude would want these little kids to yeah. hang out. And the the last time we saw Birdman is uh, I was with my older brother I'll never forget, and he brought the beer back and and handed it to us, and the cop pulled in the parking lot and like opened his door and we took off running dropped the beer and then we never went back to see birdman again oh, so really? yeah so some you're right so it's it, chance he just somebody was somebody knew i guess we'd frequent it too much and i'm sure we weren't the only people that would go knock on that yeah. door yeah um, somebody either told on him or i suppose like a liquor store you know maybe he's doing that five times a day and they're like what is up with them <laughs> right how's he drinking all this um so that was that was around um like i said 13 years old i think i was maybe going into high school um and it, it and it wasn't an everyday thing it wasn't an every other you know weekend thing um but the seed had been planted for sure um yeah. uh, so i go to um high school um i went to to trinity high school um freshman year man i didn't have i didn't have very many friends i knew one other person that was going to that school um but i remember i was so frightened and and socially awkward and nervous like every day in in first period i'd have to go excuse myself to go to the bathroom because i was so and i got to the point where i would just stand up and the teacher would just nod like i was just so uneasy um in my own skin um it was it was tough um but 
I, I played football, and that was a huge deal at that school. Um, so my freshman year, I consumed myself with, with the athletics, man. And I um, had one other buddy that went to Trinity with me I went to, to grade school with, and, and we would hang out on some weekends. But um, I, I don't ever remember a whole lot of, of drinking um, or, or using then. Um, I was busy with with sports and and I was I was actually good man like we we did pretty decent and then at the awards banquet I get like the most outstanding defense alignment and you know I'm starting to feel like hey you know <clears throat> this is a big deal um, and then that summer um, things kind of you know hit uh, hit a new level I uh, I started I don't know where I met her but I started dating this girl whose mom um, would let us sit in the basement and she'd go get us alcohol and we sat down there um all the time and would drink and 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 she openly openly you know as long as you guys are here i don't care as long as you guys are here i don't care yeah um another questionable thing you know i i understand that and i had some of that go on in my house too and as long as we were drinking here uh all was well so don't don't be going out and doing it you know and I'm like I don't know that that was such a great idea I don't think I'll do that with my parenting <laughs> yeah it uh and it got to the point where you know here I here I get this award for for being good at football and um next season comes around and I don't I don't want to play <laughs> I don't want to do that no more um that ain't for me uh I didn't want to practice twice a day and and do all that um so not that i would have could have been anything but it was just one of those things where it, it, it's something that made me feel good and, and a part of but i it didn't mean anything to me um after that summer yeah i have a similar kind of thing where it stole my ambition on sports i played basketball and and uh first off it took it because i got caught smoking pot on the bus but uh after after that, I, I had just lost my, you know, and I don't today. I don't think it's true that I didn't like it anymore. There was something. There was part of this parasite that was hijacking my operating system, telling me that I didn't like it anymore. Uh, if you could have got in past that guy, he still wanted to play. Yeah, uh, inside me, I think about new guys coming in, and I visualize it like that. You know, have you seen that? We're watching that. Uh, Netflix special. Uh, I don't even know what it's on, dude. Uh, I'm so TV dumb. Uh, the Last of Us. You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it. I think it, it formed around a video game it or did. something, You're but exactly right. I haven't watched it, no. So this fungus gets in these people and takes them over. And, you know, a fungus is like a living organism. I mean, kind of like a... But uh, uh, it added another an analogy to my library and because when I watch that, that thing takes over these people and and it's dry, it's running the show, you know, and alcoholism acts like that, you know. And when new guys come in that, are, that want it, you know, but they can't like override that, you know, there's like a little ball of fire down in their belly deep that wants to get sober. They're sitting there, you know, and it needs, you know, it's like an ember. It needs to be blowed on and all that. But the, the disease just is on top of it and it's 
smothering it out and and causes them to do stuff contrary to the things we know you need to do when you're trying to get sober. Yeah. And that's when I think about it back then that it take that it, it takes away your ambition, man. You, you have something you like, and it if it's not conducive to uh, drinking and using. And it's able like to stomp that out, and you're standing there saying, "No, I don't want to play football anymore." But that's not actually the truth. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it definitely hijacked it. I I, I played baseball too, um, and that was something that I was pretty decent at. Um, so after you know after that freshman year summer, and then I decided not to play football. I did. Um, you continued to play baseball. Though? I did continue to play baseball. And um, I with me too. I did multiple sports, and, and it peeled them off. And I would have told you, I'm gonna concentrate on basketball. I'm not gonna play baseball and football anymore because it's cutting into my basketball. Right. But I kind of look back <laughs> on it. I'm like, hmm. I don't know if that was really the truth. Yeah. It. Uh. And and I was I was decent, man. Um. You know, you had to try out. It wasn't super easy to make the team, but um, I did, and that, and and I. That made me feel good, and I, I started to meet um, some kids in, a, in the – like, so my sophomore year, I started to, to, to make some friends with the guys that were a year older than me. So I hung out with a lot of people, <clears throat> always have, always did, a, a year older. Um, Which also makes you feel good. Oh, yeah. You're in you, a hurry to grow up. Right, you know, um, and which made me, you know, feel apart. Um, so – uh, and and to preface something a little later, like if you play baseball, you can't go on spring break because we have like a tournament um, mm-hmm. during that time. And you know, spring break was, is a huge. I'm sure it still is, but you know, you go down there, get away from your parents for a week, and you can do whatever you want. And I never got to do that. And all my friends, the majority of them, did weren't playing baseball, weren't doing anything. They were going to spring break, and I always wanted to do that. Um. So football season comes around. I'm like, well, since I'm not playing, um, all all us buddies would meet up on Friday night after school, and um, here comes the beer and the and the whiskey, and we're gonna go to the games. Um, and always looking around because the teachers and parents are always there. But you know, we would we would uh, have a few before the game, and then afterwards we would you know go to somebody's house whose parents were out of town or or something, and. And, and party hardy um and it was still just a, a weekend thing um for me my drinking um and i think i one of the, one of my buddy's parents um we would steal their stash of weed um mm. so you know that was thrown in there um so my sophomore year consisted of the weekend stuff um i was still you know i played baseball that was fine and we we had another season in the fall um, still just a, a weekend thing until my junior year um, of high school um, I uh, was at one of these football games we had it was actually at J-Town I'll, I'll never forget this either um, we drank a whole bunch and then went to the to the football game man and, and next thing I know I'm spinning and like I don't know what's going on and apparently um, there's two big bushes in front of the bleachers at, at this ball game. And I'm on my hands and knees, like crawling into one of them, trying to hide from the police. Like, I don't know, it's it, like hmm. right in front of everybody, the teachers, parents section, like, and uh, long story short, the um, police show up. 
um, call my mom, you know, come get your son. He's, you know, uh, drunk. We can't get him up. Um, I remember we had an old minivan, um, and, and she showed up and my buddy that I was with my running buddy, um, they couldn't get a hold of his parents. And so she took him home too, to my house. Um, she got us there and, uh, my brother and sister tell this story today like you you got home and she threw us in the shower and like just turned the shower on and then got us laid down on the living room floor and my younger brother and sister just were kicking the hell out of us like just thought it was fun like if mom's like if you ever if you got anything you want to get back at him at you better do you know just she let them punish you yeah um so again there was no really huge consequences at home um for that i i got a talking to um, I don't even know if my dad was told that 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 ever happened. Turn that down a little bit more. All is well, but I'm tuning. Um, but baseball season comes my junior year, and I had to try out, and I got cut. Mm. And it was because of that incident that I didn't make the team. Um just so I hadn't be crawling in front of a bush where all the teachers and parents and coaches and, um, you know, so now I've got a name for myself around there, you know. Do you think that you let down or do you think that they, or were you still playing at the same level? I was, I was fine. I, I, I would have made the team. It wasn't a, I mean, it, it, it was solely because of my drinking and getting caught, um, because that's parallel with me too. When I, after I got kicked off the ball team in my sophomore year, I couldn't make the junior team, and you know, and I was sitting like I was JV, and I got to dress for the varsity games, you know. So I was good enough then to be playing up a level. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I couldn't make the team, and I don't think I was. Yeah, I don't think it was. Ability, I don't think it was. I, Interesting. I know, yeah. Similar kind of thing, man. But like I, I, I said earlier, well, well, guess what that let me do? Yeah, I'm right. not playing baseball. That's exactly. Uh, I get to go to spring break now. Yeah. Um, it took the lid off for me, too, man. I had no real reason to keep it reined in anymore. Yeah. So um, the drinking gets to be uh, a little more frequent. You know, it was not just Friday and Saturday night. It was uh, I'd meet up with a buddy at at a grade school parking lot on a Wednesday night and we'd each have a 12 pack and listen to Conway Twitty or Keith Whitley and <laughs> sit there and smoke cigarettes and, and drink a 12 pack on a Wednesday night. Um, like it was nothing. Um, and then either go back to his house, then go home or just go home. Um, no big deal. Uh, so that it, it, it went from a, a Friday and occasional Saturday to a Friday, Saturday, and then throw a Wednesday in there. Um, I forgot there was some TV show we would watch that I guess we had to drink a 12 pack to watch first. Yeah. Road Rules, Real World, or I don't remember what it was. The, the drinking kind of collapsed on me, you know. It was, you know, first it was just Friday and Saturday night, and then it was to watch either football or NASCAR on Sunday. And then the bars around started having Thursday night things, and I just had a fake ID. Yeah. So Thursday night, and then of course, Monday, I need to drink again because it hurt so bad Sunday. And next thing you know, I woke up and I was drinking every day. 
Yeah, it's it's funny you say fake ID because on the way down to spring break, um, my junior year, we caught wind of this place in Atlanta, Georgia, that you could go and you could get an ID. So I had a fake ID in my junior year of high school. Um, we got one there. So that, that kind of opened things up um, wide open as well. I used to make them. In Indiana, you could take, for us guys, that was born in 68 and 69. You could modify the license and turn that eight or that nine into a three, real easy. <laughs> and uh, and the next thing you know, I was old enough to buy liquor. And when people and I did that, a few other people found out I did that. How'd you do that? Will you do mine? <laughs> and the next thing you know, I'm making counterfeit documents. You know, and never give a the thought about it. I didn't know there's like a place you could go get fake IDs. Another thing we did is would get somebody else's. I did this at some point too. I got this guy's birth certificate and social security stuff. He let me borrow it. I never had the. the and I went down to the license bureau and had a license made with his information on it, but my picture. Yeah, there's people that did that. I just I I was too scared. Yeah. Oh, I I think about that. It it makes my heart race a little bit. I mean, I was jumping in circles going and doing it. I was scared to death, but I still alcoholism had me, man. So I would take the chance, and I did. I went uh, out in English, Indiana. I stopped in that liquor store and popped out that ID, and I didn't. I had not given it a single thought, but this dude was from English. And uh, people looked at my ID and looked at me and said, you're not so-and-so. And And like, you know, that address and all that kind of stuff, man. I'm like, hell, I ain't. And uh, and that's what I did. I I, I actually snatched the license out of her hand. and You weren't going to lose it. Like, hell with it. I'll go someplace else. And and got away with it. But I never went back to that liquor store again. So, yeah, that was, uh, <clears throat> so after spring break, uh, came back and I, like I said, I, I never really had any consequences at home, um, for, for my drinking. Um, I'd been caught several times and I think it got to a point where mom kind of knew, um, you know, the weekend stuff and, and just really never said anything to me, uh, about it. You were not getting any kind of trouble? Other than at that point, no, not at that point. I, I didn't have any hard, con- like no troubles with the law. Um, that was to come, but uh, how was your school? Did you keep it up on your school? I was a C. I was a C student and never. So that didn't really I, change. No, it. I did enough to 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 get by. I never, you know, pressed myself to 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 do better. And as as long as. Um, you know, I showed up when I was supposed to show up, and and I wasn't an A student ever. Right? Um, I th- I think I had to do summer school one year, like my freshman year or, or sophomore year for English. I think it was I had to take like three weeks or six weeks of summer school, but um, the grades were fine. Um, I did get put into after I got caught at, drunk at that football game. Um, this in school counseling, like where the bad kids had to meet with the the counselor in group once a week and that was kind of like a stigma put on me um in the school too you know if oh if you got to go to miss farmer's meeting you know you're, yeah, one, of, you're one of them too you're one of them kids take out a counselor that dealt with the troubled kids yeah um but you know what i had friends man um i, I felt like um you know i was somebody you know people are talking about me then that's better than not talking about me um 
all those kids in that in that class were cool you know they had to they had to do something cool to be in there <laughs> or they wouldn't be in there yeah um so that went on man my, my senior year i went back out for the baseball team i did get i did make the team that year um the drinking continued um heavily you know weekends for sure occasional weeknight um and my my senior year um i told you i hung out with all people like a year older than myself well like six or eight of them went down to wku to go to school you know they graduated um, the year before so every weekend i'd make the trip down to bowling green um and hang out and that was a, a, a complete debacle. Um, there were several times where me and the buddy would, would get so messed up on the way down there. Um, they're an hour behind. We'd get down there like at seven, which was six our time, and pass out and wake up the next day. Like we go down there just to pass out. Like we missed, we missed all the fun. <clears throat> um, but it was cool, man. Down there, there were no rules. You know, I didn't have to worry about. Where were y'all going? Um, to Bowling Green, just to they had apartments. Oh, okay. The, the kids that had graduated yeah. a year older than me, um, so it was free reign. You know, didn't have didn't have anything to worry about. Um, so that was several weekends out of my senior year, um, and then I I, I graduated, um, and guess where I went? I went where they went. Um, so. I moved to Bowling Green. I graduated high school in 1994, um, and then couldn't wait to get to get out of the house. Uh, and it's really weird. I was just talking to my mother about this a few weeks ago. Is um, so we moved from the Highlands to Fern Creek my senior year in high school, and I had to ask her the other day. We were talking. I said, "Did I have a bedroom there?" And she's like, "Yeah, upstairs. Like you had one um, with your brother." Long, it, it's really weird. I do not have any memories of me sleeping in that house. Hmm. And I was there for almost like a, for a full year. Like I, I, I can close. I cannot picture myself going in there and going to bed. And I don't know what it is. If it was just being so messed up as, as long as I was, or if I, if I stayed away from it, like staying out, but I can't even picture a bedroom. Huh. And I was there for a whole year. That's amazing. Do you remember some some place? I remember. Uh, did you have a buddy you spent a lot of time with? Yeah, or? I did. I spent the night over at a buddy's house a lot. But I'm, I mean, I remember every room in that house except that bedroom. Hmm. Um, it's I don't know. It's it's weird. She had that to like weird. explain it to me, but I, I don't know if I had some kind of block on it or like it's it's strange. But um, so I moved to Western to Bowling Green um, and the first year we had your or the first semester you're required to stay in the dorms um, so I remember going down there moving myself in and as soon as his mom left she helped me move in I was on the phone with my buddies alright I'm here so that first semester I think I slept in the dorm maybe a total of a week out of the whole semester um, my grades reflected that too. Um, I think I had four F's and a D. Um, the good thing was though, is I wasn't working. I got this grand old thing called a student loan. Um, so here I am 18 years old on my own 
and I get like four or five thousand dollars to go down there and quote unquote go to school. Because you can fluff them, right? You can say I'm oh yeah this much, and they give it to you. Yeah, I believe I got grants too, um, but I don't know how I feel about that. To you know, giving an eighteen year old kid this like this whole student loan thing, but that's for another podcast. Well, it's a whole, it's a piece of trouble. It's another unintended consequence. It sounded like a good thing at one point, but tons of people are sitting around with a high, with a college degree and a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt on top of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I. I they won't forgive that either, right? And that, I don't know, some kind of thing like that. So, yeah, it's a whole mess now. Yeah. So, my needless to say, my, my freshman semester, my first semester in, um, at Western wasn't um, – I had a ball, or I think, um, but it was every night. There was there's very few days off. Um, of course, all my buddies that had been there a year had, you know, these houses they lived in, and um, it was just nonstop. Um you know. The fact was, it was really, really fun for a long time. It was. It was, until it wasn't anymore. <laughs> it, it it really was, man. I could sleep, wake up when I wanted to wake up, and uh, could go to bed when I wanted to go to bed. I got uh, a million wild stories. Yeah. I probably could remember two million, but I got a million. <laughs> it's uh, And the thing is, is that there's no cell phones um, then. Like I'm, I'm old enough to like. There was the old car phones, but it wasn't like you know, pick up the phone and uh, have to check in or somebody can check in on you. you. I was just, you know, I was on my own. And if anybody called the phone in my dorm, they weren't going to get me because <laughs> um, I was never there. Um, so that my first semester, then I went home that summer. Um, which turns out to be the only after that I, I i was down there um for quite some time but came home got a, a side job but it's same old same old um drinking kept getting worse um and more frequent um and i get back the for my sophomore well I wasn't a sophomore yet because of my grades, but my second year there. <clears throat> and I moved into an apartment, um, my first one, um, with one of my drinking buddies from high school um, who made me at the time look like I was an amateur. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was uh, – I always thought, he's if I'm ever that bad, you yeah. know, I'm not as bad as him. But it was funny. One, one morning that somebody knocked at my door – it was like five thirty or six in the morning. I was like, "What the heck?" And I look out the peephole, um, and it's a sheriff. And I was like, "Oh, they gotta be looking for Aaron. That's my roommate." So I open the door, and he's like, "I got looking for Brian Green." I said, "That's me. Um, I have a warrant for your arrest." I said, "A warrant for my arrest? Like I hadn't been in any trouble." Uh, I said, "For what?" And he goes, "Hold on, let me look." He goes, "Theft by deception." I said, what? I didn't. I said, what is theft by deception? I said, I haven't stolen anything. Like, I don't get it. And he said, well, can I come in and use your phone? I said, yeah. So he came in and, and, and I don't know who he called, I guess the court or something. I don't know at that time of the morning. But apparently, before I left town that year before, I'd written a check to a junior food store. It's like a convenience store for $2.75. 
And it bounced. And it bounced. And none of my mail was forwarded anyway. So I'm like, and he started shaking his head. He said, you have a $2.75 bad check. Said, it's for a can of dip. I said, I've got all kinds of money. I just got my student loan check. I was like, he's like, man, I'm sorry. So first time I was ever in handcuffs um, and in jail. Well, they took me down there, booked me, and then sent me on my way. But standing in the front yard um they had to handcuff me um and took me downtown or down to downtown bowling green for uh $2.75 um which was crazy ended up costing me did you know you bounced the check no i had no idea nor did i mean i i was on my way out of town i didn't bother to forward any mail like i had no clue that that was out there yeah um but yeah, that was my first run in with the police and it was over um, a can of dip. <laughs> it was crazy. Did you graduate college? I did not. Um, How many years did you try? Seven or eight. Really? I was enrolled, yeah. Um, and living there? I was. I lived there from 1994. Um, I moved back in feb or Jan- february of 2013 so i was down there 19 years golly yeah um at the time before i moved back i'd lived there longer than i lived in louisville um so after my my sophomore year you know i'm like i didn't go to school i went so i think the highest grade I ever got was a c i didn't care i wasn't down there to to go to school um I was down there to get away from from Louisville and to party and to have fun. Um, so my student loans ran out, and I'm like, "Well, I guess I need to get a job." Um, so I got a job. They had just opened a convention center in Bowling Green. Um, it was a big deal, and they needed people to help set up and tear down banquets, um, like wedding. They'd have wedding receptions, or they'd have conferences, and you know, roll tables and set up chairs and um they had these little portable bars that they would wheel in um to to serve drinks i'm like man that's something i could do i saw these guys were like a lot of times they'll say no you know no tips or whatever but anyway these people wheeling these bars in and some of my the guys i got to know were, were bartending these weddings and stuff and having a ball I'm like i need let me try that so i got to do it and that was uh that was the beginning of a bartending career that I had for 16 years. Hmm. Um, so I would, uh, we came up with this deal, man, like all the bar, all, all the booze that we would use, you'd go down to the liquor room and like the manager would hand you, you know, check it out of this liquor room. Um, so we start bringing our own bottles um, and just pouring our liquor and keeping the money um, or pouring our liquor and you know drinking it like we we came up with this deal where um not only can i sit here and get drunk i can make money while doing it um so we did that i did that for like a year year and a half um we would i wouldn't do it all the time every time i bartended but we would bring bottles in there and and do the deal and make some money and uh because you could buy a bottle of maker's mark for 25 dollars and sell it for eight it was i think it was seven or eight dollars a drink yeah 
So and it didn't come out of there. They weren't like when they looked at the, what you had left over. There was nothing, but you did have to kind of keep track of where money went into which pocket. Yeah, um, but I'm like, this is e-, you know, this is easy money. Not just the the theft part, um, but just the bar. You know, the the legit tips we I would get. And it really wasn't stealing anything. Oh right, yeah, it I wasn't. <laughs> I justified. In a way, it. I mean, it, I could see leveraging that in my own head you know you're not stealing from them mm-hmm. so we, we did that for a year year and a half um i you know some of a couple of my high school buddies were in there with me and um so that job ended by us getting caught stealing beer out of the cooler at the hotel on super bowl sunday because um, we ran out of beer at a super bowl party and i'm like oh well hold on we can go to the hotel and we'll just take the beer on sundays because at this time you couldn't get alcohol on Sundays in Bowling Green, in that county. Correct in Warren County, um, you'd have to go down to Franklin, Tennessee. So we, uh, long story short, we went and got three or four cases of beer, and um, the security guard saw us. And the next day, or I think the following Monday, that next Monday, we get you know you're fired. Hmm. We had done it several times before and just brought the beer back Monday morning. You know the next day yeah, when we just buy it, just it. swap it out. But we got caught just so. borrowing the beer, right? Um, so that was the end of that that career. Um, and then I landed uh, landed at a bar down on this. They call it the square in Bowling Green. It's basically a circle. Um, it's like an entertainment district. There's a bunch of bars, restaurants, like antique shops. It's like a loop. Um, started my bartending career um, working for this little independent bar, and um, things. I mean, it would it would, it got to the point where you you know pour one, drink one, um, pour a couple, drink a couple, um, and that. Uh, that ease of of making not only tips but a little extra money for yourself um you know followed me there too uh, so, so i basically my career in bowling green for for 14 years was on that square at different bars um, and at different restaurants um so let's uh first dui i got was leaving that bar um in 2001 i think it was uh 3:34 in the morning you know every night i left that place i you know i could have got a dui um by far um pulled off the square turned right and boom you know lights go on and um it was the first and only time i actually did the sobriety test and blew in the breathalyzer hmm. um and it i forgot it was like i don't even know the number point it was it was too high uh, so got thrown in a drunk tank um, and there was this regular that that came into the bar he was actually a, a bookie he's an older dude um that would come in there and, and book bets every day and um i'd help him out you know on the side you know here you know horse racing was always on um so he'd be like you take the bets and just keep the money straight and blah 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 so long story short i called him i said joe man they got me um i'm in jail so after six hours they you either go to court 
or you bond out. Well, I bonded out and, you know, ha ha. He, he come and bailed you out. He come and bailed me out. You know, I promise you I'll pay you back. You know, I think it's like four or five, six hundred dollars. Um, and you know, that time, ha ha ha, you know, everybody jokes with you about it. And, um, I was like, I just had bad luck, man. You know, I was just going, I just live right around the corner and, you know, they, they sit on the square down there and just look for people. for people. Yeah. Out of bars. You know, they, uh, I was set up. Um, so I had to go. I think they, um, I think they took at that time my license was suspended for six months. Um, I had to go to this mad class, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, um, at the hospital. And it was, I remember it was a lady that had lost her child um, due to a drunk driver and like the pictures of the funeral and the casket and yeah. her telling her story. And uh, I had to do one of them too. It was, uh, it was moving, but I didn't pay, you know, I didn't want to look, I didn't want to pay attention. Look, I'm not, I ain't supposed to be here, you know. Yeah. I made a wrong turn. Um, I ain't and, that bad. Right. I had to uh, go through like DUI classes. I think I had to do 10 of them at the time or, or 12. And so I'd leave the bar on my break and go do this hour and a half class and then walk back over to the bar to work. Um, so that first one was no big deal. Um, bad luck. Everybody gets one. Um, I'll just be more careful. Won't do that again. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was bartending, um, for a long time, man, on that, on that square. And about a year later, um, I get pulled over again, um, leaving the same place is almost in the exact same spot um this time i'm not i was i was you know i had a, i was i had more than i obviously than i should have but i knew i was messed up bad so i said i ain't blowing in that thing um i'm not doing your test take me to jail um you sure mr green yes i'm i'm positive so there i go back again <clears throat> to the drunk tank call my old buddy said hey joe they got me again you ain't very good at this are you luke he called everybody luke uh i said no i'm not so he came down and bailed me out again but that's this time it was for real you know um i lost my license for a year um i had to do 52 of them classes um and i believe it's the first one i told my my uh folks about uh and dad's like, I don't know. He's like, you'll learn one of these days. And I'm like, oh, well, I ain't that bad. Uh, bad luck. I mean, I'm bartending. They look, they're looking for us. You know, I can't leave the square. Um, I always hear that excuse about the cops setting up on them places. And they may be. I don't know. But if, uh, it's a, it's an interesting uh, as far as it's, the truth of the matter is they probably should be setting up on every one of those places and arresting about everybody comes out the door uh, so they ain't out there killing these ladies kids and stuff absolutely um, yeah if I, if I don't put myself in the situation I don't care how many cops are on what corner um, I'm alright so each time this happened you know I would take like alright I probably need to chill out so I'd go a week or two um and not drink um 
but it always it always came back where I'll just be more careful, you know. Yeah. I won't drive. Here, take my keys, and then I'll fight you for them later, yeah. you know. Um, did you moderate it until it would ramp back up? Did I moderate? Like, you know, my, my, my deal would be that I was going to quit, you know, or I would. I would actually stay cool, like especially when I was on probation and things like that. I would actually stop. Uh, if I had to, you know, and uh, and then I would start just drinking a little bit. I'm going to keep it under control. And before long, you know, I'm right back where I was, if not worse. You know, it would just ramp up on me. Yeah. I, Some guys go 100 mile an hour out of gates. I did, man. I, you know, I would quit. I'd be like, I'm not going to do it. You know, and it, it'd be a couple weeks, I think maybe three weeks. Um, but then when I decided I was... It, I wasn't going to ease into it. It was, uh, I'm, let's, I'm right back at it. I'll be more careful. Uh, I always talk about, I got for, I walk around my car and make sure my turn signals were working and my brake lights were working and like almost like an airline air, a pilot's checklist to make sure before I went out to make sure I wasn't going to get pulled over for something stupid like that. It's funny you say that that second DUI was cause my license plate wasn't illuminated yeah. was the reason for the, them pulling me over. Um, God damn it, I need to fix that. Right. You know, I'm not going to stop drinking. I'll fix the damn taillights. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so there's a eight or ten year span that was like 2002, 2003, and um, kind of like Groundhog Day. Um, you know, I'd, I'd sleep till, till noon or one o'clock, um, wake up, go to the bar, you know, do my, do my thing, um, you know. I was making good enough money. I had a pocket full of money all the time. Um, some I earned, some I didn't. Um, and then always, uh, it, it got to be where it was an every night thing, you know, the, the drinking. It was just, if I was in that bar, I was, if I was working, I was drunk. Um, and it, I was, I wasn't drinking in the mornings yet, but the thing was, I wasn't waking up till noon or one o'clock. And then by, three or four if i was at the bar god i gotta get something to make me feel better yeah uh, so if you back that up to a normal guy's thing and you get up at seven by 9 a.m <laughs> woke up on a tuesday yeah. um so then dui number three came um it was my uh it was another dui one um at the time they only went back seven years um so i'd spaced it out where it wasn't a dui three it was a or no, it, it it was my second second offense. I'm sorry, it's a DUI too. So I, there I go losing my license for a year again. Um, this time I got home incarceration um, for 30 days, and um, the thing is, is, they let they knew that I worked in a bar, and they they still let me go to work hmm. with an ankle bracelet on. Um, so needless to say, I didn't care about the stipulations of my home incarceration with no, you know, no drinking, no, no drugs, no guns, all that stuff. It didn't change me. Um, I, I did the, the 30 days. Um, I feel like half my life I've been in DUI classes. Yeah. Um, cause it was it's 52 again that I had to do. Um, but again i'd leave the bar go do my hour and a half and go back um uh let's go to 2000 uh about 2009 2010 
um, I got introduced to hydrocodone at the bar. Um, some dude had 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 some dental work done or hurt his back or something, and he's like, "Man, check one of these out." So I just gotten there and was still feeling rough from the day before, dude. And I took one of them, um, and within about thirty minutes, dude, I was like, "What is this? I need more." <laughs> um, that feeling just warm and fuzzy all over. Um, the golden key. It was uh, that too, man. It was. Um, it had me from from the first time, man. Um, where can we get more? Do you have any left? Um, and I, I battled with that for um, about five years. You know, it, it got from taking one to literally six to eight months later, I was having to take eight or ten in the morning um, to, to get out of bed um, and then take eight or ten more um, halfway through the day. Um, and at the time, they weren't cheap. Um, so the... Uh, so the drinks were getting rang in fewer and fewer um at the bar you know i was uh quote unquote borrowing money at the beginning of the shift to to pay for these things man it was like um you know 15 20 a day um at five or six i mean it was 100 150 dollars um a day um that habit and in the middle of all this, I I'd, I'd met a girl um, at the bar that ended up, uh, didn't know at the time, but was my future wife or future ex-wife. Um, met a gal that, that had come in and um, we got serious and within like eight months we moved in together. Um, and she was aware of what I was doing, um, but didn't think it was, uh, you know, an issue. Um, but it, it got to be, you know, I was it didn't take long for me to have to have them or I couldn't function mm -hmm. at all. Um, and she introduced me to amphetamines, um, Adderall. So I had that and, and the, the other pills and, and alcohol, um, ran my life for, um, that part of it for, from then on out, uh, I got serious about quitting um, about two years into it, and I, um, that is the worst detox. Um, I, f I felt terrible, but I, I actually did it myself. I'm all, but I'm gonna quit these, but I'm gonna lay around for a week and just smoke weed and you know lay on the couch and um, drink, you know. But I kicked them for about eight months um, and then went back to them, and it was just as bad. This whole time, I'm still you know drinking. Um, but it was right around that, you know, the whole pill mill thing where, you know, I have solicited a couple different doctors at that time to, to prescribe me. And, and two of them, two of the, the four that I went to are in prison right oh, now. Really? Um, do you have a bad back? <laughs> I had, yeah, a, a bad back and, uh, a knee, you know, from the football and football I didn't play. <laughs> But and and one of them was for the amphetamine, you know, the Adderall. Um, I could go in there and fill those little that paperwork out and just, you know, it was like twenty questions whether or not you have ADHD or not, and here you go. So, um, so I got married in two thousand eleven. Um, we did. Um, 
it, it's embarrassing, but I was in the depths of my disease. Um, I do not remember um, after about 10 minutes after the wedding ceremony itself, we had the reception right afterwards at a bed and breakfast um, outside in a barn. Um, I know I took a couple. I mean, I had several pain pills before. I took a couple, I think, uh, anxiety medicine before the ceremony and then drank. And I don't remember um, my wedding night after the, Mm -hmm. like, 10 minutes after we said I do. Um, Woke up in a hotel room. Wasn't really sure where we were. Uh, That was April of 2011. Um, that October, um, I got another DUI, um, on the way home from work, uh, went back to jail, um, came home and she had her shit packed on the front porch. So I'm not doing it anymore. Can't do it anymore. You're just going to give up on me is what I was saying. You know, uh, after all I've done to for for you and blah 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 blah, it's all your fault. I can't believe you're doing this. Um, and she, but she did. Uh, she left. Um, things got real bad for me. Um, even to a point where I was homeless for about three weeks. I lived in. I had an old F one fifty that had a had a camper on the back of it, and I slept in a park and took showers in a park. Um. For a little over three weeks, uh, didn't have anywhere to go. Was was too embarrassed to to tell my friends, you know, what had happened, quote unquote friends. Um, and then I had my my fishing buddy. He uh, his family owns the newspaper down there. Um, we would always go fishing. He owned a lot of rental property, and he let me stay in one of his houses for nothing. Um, hmm. Once he found out what I was doing. Um, so that was DUI number four or five. Uh, and I quit for three or four weeks, you know. Um, even, I think, court ordered me to go to AA. <clears throat> and I went to um, 13th Street Club is the name of the, uh, like our like the token club in Louisville's 13th Street Club. And um, first meeting there, I got a, uh, somebody gave me a big book. Um I remember my dad coming down um, and going to a meeting with me. Mm. And uh, dad got real emotional, like towards the end of the meeting, like when people were saying bye. And he said, um, you know, please do me a favor and take care of my boy. He's like, I I, I feel so bad that I gave him this disease. Mm. Um, That's the first time I'd seen my dad emotional. because looking back on it, he knew, you know, he 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 knew that he couldn't do anything for me until I was ready. And uh, at that time, I thought I was. Um, I got this. I think I was there a couple meetings, three meetings, and uh, asked this dude to be my sponsor. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. I was just told to get a sponsor. <clears throat> um, so I did that. But every time I went in there, man, like. The two people I sat next to, even my sponsor included, it reeked a weed, mm-hmm. like just stunk a weed. And I had this thing in my head, like, I, I don't know much, but I don't think this is the way things are supposed to be. Um, you know, 
So I use that as an excuse that this shit ain't for me. I don't need this. They're hypocrites. You know, these people are in here. I, you know, smell weed and stuff. And I haven't drank in three or four weeks anyway. I'm fine. So that was the extent of my AA um, in Bowling Green. Uh, so things got worse. Um, I, uh, so we had split, you know, we split up. We weren't officially divorced. We, you know, kind of communicated, um, here and there. And, um, I was staying at my buddy's house and, uh, I'd mentioned the Adderall and the pain pills and, and the liquor, uh, had a people over after work one night and was doing a lot of all that and then woke up the next morning and, uh, I didn't feel so hot, man. Uh, my left arm was numb. Um, I actually was getting sick. And it wasn't a hangover sick. So I called my ex-wife. She's a, she's a nurse, open heart recovery, actually. And I said, this is happening. She goes, go to the hospital. Um, I had a drug-induced heart attack um, when I was 34 years old. Um, went to the hospital. They ran a bunch of tests, did a heart cath. And they're like, Mr. Green, um, did you do anything? Have you, like, done any like cocaine no sir i don't do cocaine like um i never told them you know what it was but they could tell it was you know somebody my age and some probably can tell at the test that there was some kind of stimulant yeah, that you know going on here yeah so i spent three nights uh in the hospital um they put me on a bunch of different medicines uh so I had a heart attack at 33 years old, you know, alcohol and drug induced. And, uh, we were talking about consequences earlier in big event that didn't stop me either. Um, I wasn't going to tell my mom, um, wasn't going to tell anybody. My ex-wife decided to call and tell, uh, my mom. And, uh, so she worried from afar. Um, she came down to see me. Uh, I'm good. You know, I'm fine. I don't know what's going on. Um, so that was roughly 2000. That was 2011. Um, so things didn't change, man. And, and it got, it got worse. Um, I was couch surfing. Um, I'd gotten evicted from an apartment that was actually mine. Um, so I'm going to get away from it all. So in February of 2013, I decided I'm going to move back home. Um, I had burned all my bridges in Bowling Green. I, you know, uh, ruined a marriage. Um, felt like I was like the laughing stock. Um, five DUIs. I get away from Bowling Green. Everything's going to be good. I get away from these people. Geographical cure. Yeah. Got to get out of here. So I moved home 2000, February 2013. Uh, moved back in with mom? Yeah, I was going to say 38 years old-ish. Moved back in with mom and uh, my stepfather. I said, just come here. You don't have to pay rent. Um, save up some money and get back on your feet. Uh, so my sister-in-law, she's is the head of like Kelly Temporary Services. Um, and she found me a job real quick. Um, through a temp agency at uh, it was like three blocks from my mom's house well there's this real cool bar in between my work and my mom's house so um, started working there and then um, 
every day stopping at the bar on the way home. Uh, every day. And getting not just a beer or two, but but several drinks, several shots, and then go home and eat eat mom's cooked food and then go in my room, shut the door. You know, no kind of communication, none of that. And, um, they loved on me a bunch, man. They knew I was hurting um, when I when I moved back, but I didn't, you know, I didn't see it. I didn't care. Um, talk about selfish and self-centered. I didn't, I didn't need any, if I didn't need anything from them, I didn't need to be around. I'd just go shut my door. Um, so about a year into that job, I decided it'd be cool. There's a liquor store right across the street um to go over on my lunch break and get a bottle so i was getting bottles of vodka and i always wore boots with my jeans and i'd just slide a pint in my boot um would go in there go in the bathroom and drink um at least a pint during work and then stop by the bar and then go home uh i was doing good man i got i got promoted to supervisor i had like 16 people underneath of me um that i was managing um vodka bottles in my filing cabinet uh, vodka bottles in my boot um my big boss that came up from florida she, um she even said she's like there's some talk that you may be drinking at at work hope that's not true no it's not true i wouldn't do that so about three and a half four years into that job um i call out one day because i ain't feeling so hot um, and I get a phone call from my boss saying, um, you're no longer employed by such and such company. Um, for We found several empty vodka bottles in your filing cabinet. I saw I, somebody setting me up. I would not do that. I'm like, isn't it funny how the day I'm off, you're going to find vodka? Like, I would, you know, I tried this whole deal. Brian, bye. Um, thanks, but, you know, no thanks. You're no longer employed. So I lied about that to mom. I'm like, I sent an email to one of our coworkers that was cussing out the, um, like the boss and somehow they got my email. And so I got, I didn't get fired for drinking. Mm. You know, I got fired cause I sent an email. Um, so Christmas of 13, we had Christmas at mom's, um, like the Saturday before and I leave her house to go to the store to get cigarettes and boom there's DUI number six um so I go to jail this time it's Louisville Metro um and I had a warrant out for my arrest that I didn't know for not completing those DUI classes uh. so I sat down there for four nights <clears throat> um Bookie was right, Luke. You ain't very good at this. Right, exactly. <laughs> he, I, yeah, I wasn't. So, sat in there four nights. Um, of course, mom came pick me up. Uh, she's highly disgusted. <laughs> um, makes I have an apartment at the time. She, you just need to stay at my house tonight. So stayed there, and next morning went home and went and got a bottle of vodka, uh, and kept drinking. Um, so I get my license that's my third second license suspended for a year again home incarceration 30 days um, so I'm on HIP um, and I'm at work 
I guess I hadn't been fired from that that job yet. Anyway, I'm at work in the share or the, my apartment complex. Calls says Brian, all your stuff's out in the front your front yard. I'm on home incarceration. I go home. I'm being evicted. And I haven't paid rent in six months. So I'm on HIP with no H. Um, so what do I do? I, I go back to mom's. I'm like, I call her. I said, look, I'm, I got nothing. I'm, my stuff's out in the yard. I need a place to stay for this home incarceration. So they pulled me back in. I stayed there another eight months. Um, got another apartment, got a new job. Um, actually I'm, I'm currently still at that, at that same position. So the drinking doesn't slow down. It, it gets worse. I'm going to the liquor store on my lunch breaks at work, getting a sleeve of shots, um, drinking six or eight of them on my break and then taking a couple in with me, uh, drinking every night. Uh, then COVID hits. They're like, Brian, we're going to have to, you know, everybody's got to go home and work from home. Um, here's a laptop. Um, just make sure you log on by eight o'clock. Here's how to log into the phone. So, uh, now nobody's watching. So shortly after COVID hit is when I started going to the liquor store. Um, the one by my house didn't open until nine. Um, I'd go there at nine o'clock, um, get a pint. I'd have it done by my lunch break at, at 12. Um, I'd go get another one at lunch, um, would finish that one. And then when I got off work at five, I would go get another one. I never wanted to get the big bottle cause I was afraid I'd drink it all. <laughs> so I just always get pints. Makes sense. Um, then I would go, uh, I would pass out like at seven, seven thirty and wake up at about three or four in the morning sweating shaking um sick i'd like dry even i was i was dt and already you know halfway through the night so i had would lay there i would go to my bathroom floor and lay on the cold floor and just pray to god um for this to go away like never you know please let me make it through the next three or four hours and i won't do it anymore won't do it anymore um but i kept doing it um i couldn't stop i literally could not function in the morning until i had that in me and i could never i could never leave any at night like i could not leave a sip i'd have to drink it all knowing i'd be sick the next morning i i could not do it i could not do it um there was a couple times i passed out like on my lunch break on the couch my boss would try and call me. Well, the, I have these emergency contact phone numbers. Like when you put in your application or when you get hired, they call my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom would call me or something. I find what what it your boss you know worrying her to death like something's wrong with me. Um, and uh, I was like, no, I just took a nap. I didn't you know wake up. So that happened a couple times where I'd pass out on lunch. Um, and. About October, November of 2020, it was about lunchtime, man, and I was, quote-unquote, working from home, and, um, man, I just got this crazy, like, feeling, like, sick, like I was having a heart attack, something was, I just knew something was not right. Um, 
so apparently I text messaged my mom just nine one one, like that's all I put, and I, I don't even know what like I, that's not something I'd ever done before. And she had called me, and I could barely talk. I was like, something's not right. Um, she was at work, so Tom, her husband, my stepfather, came and picked me up. I was like, I need to go. I was like, I need to go to the hospital. Um, so they took me to the ER. Um, we have a stroke history in our family. Mom met us there, and she like I couldn't talk. My mom's sitting there telling nurses like we have, you know, I'm thinking he's having a stroke. Um, we have history of that. Blah 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 blah. And so get in the ER room, and um, they're pumping me full of fluids. They you know running all these tests. Uh, for like cat scan for you know a, a stroke taking my blood and all that stuff and uh it was during covid so i was in there by myself um they had to, to wait in the waiting room and uh remember like after being in there like an hour hour and a half the the er doctor comes in and uh, he said brian i said yeah he goes are you trying to kill yourself i said what are you talking about no he goes are you just drinking like liters of booze a day i was like no why like my blood alcohol was like 0.3 something and this was like at noon on a wednesday um he said man i don't know what he's like i don't know what you're trying to do or what you're doing but you need to stop um you're gonna end up killing yourself he's like i'm we're pumping you full of plenty of fluids and stuff so you don't feel like absolute shit when you know later on in the day but um He's like, you really need stuff. Uh, so again, we go. I go home. They take me home. Mom's like, you need to stay here tonight so I can keep my eyes on you. Like, make sure nothing happens to you. Uh, so I do that. Stay there. Get up next morning. Go to the liquor store. Um, I had to. I felt like shit. Um, so that was around November. Um, it was a nightly occurrence, man. Waking up with the sweats, um, shaking, dry heaving, nothing would ever come up. Uh, and then on f- February 18th, 2021, um, I was passed out on the couch um, and woke up with the, you know, DT sweating. Um, and the TV was on, and a, and a commercial came on for uh, one of the local rehab facilities for Landmark, actually. And I don't know why or whatever reason, but I picked up the phone and I called the number that was on the TV. Um, and they're like, we have a bed for you right now. Won't you come? I'm like, oh, I can't get there. You know, no. He's like, well, we'll send somebody to come How get you. about a week from Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> he said, I, we'll, we'll have somebody come get you right now. I said, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, ain't that bad. No, right. Hold on a minute. Um, I was like, I need to get stuff. You know, I need to let work know. You know, I need to get to. Uh, I got a whole thing to do before I can be checking out, brother. <laughs> right. So, man, I uh, I talked to him. Um, I told him I'd call him back the next day. Uh, next morning, I woke up. I called HR, um, and I came clean. I said, look, this is what's going on. Um, I need help. I've, I've called and I've, I've got help. She said, Brian, go. Um, called my mom and she was 
she was crying tears of joy thank you finally um so february 19th i checked into to landmark um ended up staying 36 days wow um was it rough um the first few days were I don't want to say rough because I think the detox drugs that they give you, like, I don't really remember my first three or four days. Um, so they did give you something to ease the pain. Huh? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it was, uh, but um, they don't expect you to do, basically they don't expect you to come out of your room for three or four days, you know, when you're detoxing. But um it's kind of a blur those first three or four days, but I, yeah. I felt such a sense of relief. Um, I was ready, man. Like I could not do what I was doing anymore. I did it for, for 25, 30 years and I was just tired and I don't know. I, I mean, I know now, um, why I called, um, it wasn't me that I don't know. I was nudged and, and, uh, for sure to make that phone call. Um, I firmly believe I was going to die if if I didn't. I really do. Yeah. This shit kills people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it shouldn't be legal. I, mean, I don't want to get too much on the temperance bandwagon, but the damage it does and what it does to people, uh, you really shouldn't be able to go to every street corner in town and get as much of it as you want to. Yeah, it, uh, I had to do it. Uh, people die every day from it. it. Kills more people than anything else. But we don't admit it. Absolutely. Uh, I was tired of the pain, man. Um, not only I was causing myself, but all the people that love me the most. So in there, and uh, what, did, what did they, what was your, what, what did they do to you? Um, after you got detoxed. Man, after I got detoxed, it's weird. Landmark's not an AA-based um, recovery center. Um, they did bring meetings in there um, on the weekends, um, Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, some of the groups from around town um, would come in. Uh, but basically, we would break up into little groups. We had uh, like three morning classes and lunch and then like three evening classes. Um, a lot of it, it's smart recovery mm -hmm. um, is, their, is their program. Um, I know a little of it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of like noticing triggers. Um, we had like a meditation class, which was cool. We had an art class, um, which was cool. Um, my, my deal was, is, is what I think helped me the most is I needed to get away from everything. I needed to get away from my work. I needed to get away from my family. I needed to get away, um, from, from my friends, uh, I just needed to go someplace where I could just be um, and not have those outside worries. Yep. Um, Most people will do. Yeah. And you see people that won't make that choice uh, hanging around town, still trying to do what they were doing yesterday, and but not drink. And that's a damn tough call, man. Uh, it's it's not a very good recipe for getting sober. Yeah. It uh. Some people make it, but. If you can get separated, physically separated from everything, uh, I still firmly believe it's the way to get started. I myself knew that, that 
this was this was my first shot at treatment and and, th- and hopefully by the grace of god it'll be my last but i knew a three-day detox and then um come back out wasn't gonna i needed more than that um i couldn't be around it i could i could not stop yeah if it was if it was near or if i could drive to get it or if I could do anything to, yeah, to get it, it was I was going to have it. That hijacking, man, that is the crux of powerlessness. There's no way I cannot drink. Yeah, um, that was the only way. Um, and not not to knock six days. Yeah, they tell you they tell you thirty, and then um, if if I'm being completely honest, it's however long your insurance is going to pay for. Yeah, right. Yeah, is how many right. days. Um, that you're in there but but here's the thing man like people ask me would you would you recommend um where you went i'll re- it worked for me because i absolutely wanted to quit drinking and, and get sober like i could not do it anymore but there's people in there that, that didn't leave their bed but once a day and they don't force they didn't force me to do anything um well here we all know how you know that's there's really you can't you can't make somebody get sober no until you're ready i answered the phone call the other day about somebody wanting to know how do i get my brother to stop drinking you're not gonna like this answer (laughs) you can't yeah Uh, you can create consequences for him you can actually you can do a little of that and it might help i can't guarantee it but if you know he's drinking and driving, you can call the cops on him. You, know, you can remove yourself from his. You know, I ain't talking to you until no more. You know, and you can create some consequences for him. But until he's ready to quit, I heard the other day too that it went a few more weeks. But apparently, he is checked into Landmark now. Speaking of, Landmark saved my life. It helped save my life. It really did. I I don't have anything bad to say. Um, it's like if you want to get sober you can get sober yeah so um, how did you feel when you got out of there um a, a quick story just to th- this kind of leads to how i found my home group um while i was in there um we didn't we couldn't have visitors because it was during covid um so we didn't have visitation um we got a 15 minute facetime call um on saturday or sundays um but i was due out I'd been in there. I think I had two weeks left and um, was saying it was sitting in one of our group chats or group meetings in the morning. And uh, all the counselors had wore masks on because they left every day and came back. You know, we didn't have to because we're testing when we get in. And once we're in, we're in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this dude walks up to the front of the class, man. He's got a mask on and uh, he starts talking. He says, Hi, you know, uh, my name's Alex. Um, he was shadowing uh, our counselor. Um, come to find out, he was working on his psych part of. He was a nurse practitioner, and he said about ten words, and I knew exactly who it was. <clears throat> Ended up being a, a guy that I was in high school with that I used to run with my like sophomore year in high school. Hmm. Um, and it happens to be that um, he found this a, a few years before I did. Um, and he's actually works in the profession now. Um, and I talked to him, man, and uh, 
he hooked me up with uh i was scared to death i knew i didn't want to do iop they kept preaching this you know iop um, when you get out you gotta do it for you know we want you to do it for six weeks and i'm sitting there thinking like sitting at my house by myself in front of a computer is kind of what helped get me here you know and i have to do that eight hours a day um i don't know if i want to do it another you know i need i needed to be out i need to be around people so I was nervous, you know, like I want to do this AA thing, but I don't know how to do it. And I know myself, if I don't get a sponsor before I get out of here, I probably won't get a sponsor. You know, I was I was scared to death to get out. Um, I was safe and protected in there. Mm-hmm. I could not use or drink. Um, but I ran into Alex like a week and a half, two weeks before um, I was due to get out. And he's like, hey, man, uh, I've got this home group, uh, Spiritual Underground. Um, it's a great bunch of dudes. Um, here's here's one of my sponsees' uh, phone number. Give him a call when you get out. <clears throat> so that's how I got hooked up, man. So after I met him and, and knew that I had some kind of plan getting out, um, I was ready to get out. I was ready to leave. Um, but until then, I was ner- I, I was still nervous. Don't get me wrong. I was scared to death, actually. Um, but at least I knew I had some, some kind of direction. I had a, 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 something to go to a beginning. Yeah. Well, that's the only reason, you know, that's the reason why AA groups take meetings into the places is because we're pointing you to, when you get out of here, you really ought to go there. <laughs> you know, we're just big arrow signs going that away, that away. Cause otherwise if they walk out the door, they're just going to go back to what they were doing. If they don't jump into something like right now. And that's the, you know, you hear that. that so that, uh, interesting that Alex was the one to point you that direction. That's, yeah. Because that's really the only way we can survive. I mean, it's, a, it's like, you know, uh, life is that way. Death is every other direction. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I f- firmly believe um, to this day that, that God put Alex there that day. Um, for for a reason like yep. i hadn't seen or talked to him in 20 something years yeah that's a trip um, and there he was yeah um i mean it gives me goosebumps thinking about it to this day because um, i know me i don't know what i'd have done if i'd have got out and not and not had some kind of plan or something set up yeah i mean it's like swinging from one vine to the next man you got to have another vine to grab a hold of if, if you don't we all know where you're going to be. You're going to yeah. be down on the ground on your back. Uh, so I gained about 25, 30 pounds um, in there. <laughs> uh, it's funny when I, when, every time I'd FaceTime, um, I'd FaceTime my mother and she's like, well, it looks like they're taking good care of you, Brian. I'm uh, like, gee, thanks. Um, but three meals a day, snacks in between. Um, so I got out. I'd, I'd called a, uh, Jared, um, who was my first sponsor, um, I called him uh, before I got out and left him a voicemail. He didn't answer the phone. I think he was working, and um, we couldn't have cell phones in there. Um, so when I got home, he had called. He had called me back. Um, I left him my cell phone number, and he called and left a message. Um, so that was relief. Um, when I got out that, you know, this dude actually called, yeah. this ain't bullshit. Uh, so that's what kind of, that's what, that's not what kind of, that's what connected me to, 
to you guys. Yeah. And then uh, Alex was uh, having those, he was having people over to join the Zoom meeting in his garage. Yeah. Instead of following the damn rules. <laughs> yeah, after uh, about, my, excuse me, my first three, I think three weeks were on Zoom. Um, and then uh, Alex started having the, the garage meeting. Um, and that's when I met. Actually, I, I, I remember that too now that I think about it that that's where we first met you or where I first met you was basically I mean, that's my first remembrance was being at at uh, Alex's house mm-hmm. that's know, where I practitioner too you know right yeah he's like come over I to mean, my what place what the hell why is he having on that violating the social distancing and everything and I seen y'all's chairs was too close together four and a half feet not six no it was uh but thank God for that, man. That, yeah. uh, like, kind of like you said, you know, Zoom's Zoom's fine to look at a bunch of people on a screen. Um, there's no energy there, though. There's no energy, and especially if, you know, me coming in brand new, I don't know who these people are. Yeah. Like, there's no kind of references to... It's like they're not real. Uh, I mean, it's... It's, yeah. So there you had that opportunity to get to go over there and hang out with some guys that were meeting up over there. And the token club, I believe, had just opened back up. So I was going to the 630 newcomer meeting, mm-hmm. and they had both the rooms combined and the chairs six feet apart, and everybody had masks on. Yeah, I remember going to the token club when the chairs were separated. I don't go there a whole lot, but I do recall that. Yeah. Um, and that was cool to be around people um, and, and energy, but you did you couldn't really see what they looked like either. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody yeah, like had, you're, but you're around these real live human beings that have used to have the same thing and they're not drinking anymore. You know, they used to do what we did and they're not anymore. So you get that piece of that hope that you know, well, if these motherfuckers can do it, <laughs> absolutely, uh, maybe I've got a chance too. Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the people I was in treatment with, um, there were to be honest with you, um, there was two wings at, at Landmark. One was all male, um, and then one was co-ed. And I just happened to land in the co-ed hmm. um, side, and from what I understand, it was kind of like they would send like the older dudes um, to the co-ed side, and the younger kids were were over there together. That's pretty smart. Um, <laughs> But a lot of them were, were, you know, they they shared my same struggle. But a lot of it was was um, different substances, you know, a lot of, of heroin, um, a lot of meth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple people in there that that shared my same struggle with alcohol. Um, you know, later down the road, I, I realized that it's 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 not the substance; it's the reason we put the the substance in us. Yeah. Um, but it was good going back. It was good to being in a token club and hearing other people tell my exact same story, man. Um, telling me that, you know, they would get up in the morning and, and have to have vodka. Mm-hmm. Um, they would do it at work. Um, yeah. That's what I mean. These people that are standing examples, modeling the fact that you can recover it too. That yeah. this is possible. I'm standing here telling you. Yeah. There's no, the, the value of that's just out of this world, you know. Absolutely. Um, finally it was a place where um, I didn't have to put a face on to belong um, those were my people man yeah. like I didn't There's have so to- much shame wrapped around it you know I mean we feel like pieces of shit you know we feel like we're big time losers and uh, you know that our self esteem's in the tank man and then you get around these people who have 
recovered and their self-esteem is not in the tank anymore you know so that raises you up and start beginning to have that wonderful thing called hope yeah um it was uh it was definitely after it just a sense of relief and a, and a, a sense of, of of belonging to something that that uh i didn't have to act yeah. you know <laughs> like i belong here for sure um these are my people um and hearing the hearing the stories like i said hearing hearing other people you know share their struggles um made me feel like i knew i was exactly where i was supposed to be um no doubt so jared started taking you through the work he did um we uh about three or four days after i got out of treatment we uh we met at uh, a coffee place and he kind of told me his deal um you know and i kind of you know we just started talking i think swapping stories swapping stories you know there for about an hour and a half and uh so yeah i latched on to jared um uh and we we started uh he started to take me through the book um you know reading uh you know bill's story and uh it was it was kind of it was kind of awkward um like not being able to in person like we we didn't meet up you know face to face um a whole lot um we would be there on you know tuesday nights at alex's um we would you know do a little work on the outside and uh for no for nobody's uh fault but my own um it was a long process for me to to um to to get through the work um my first you know uh the 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 first time that that i went through it yeah um it was uh like i said i can't blame anybody but you know myself um jared's always available to me um he jared saved my life man like he was my hope when i didn't have any hope yeah um and i i I have he he has a, a humongous spot in my heart and i love that man to death um but my work was slow um i drug my feet i'll be honest with you know i was i got out um and i'm like i'm sober you know and and i was on this uh i guess they say this pink cloud (laughs) you know kind of like you know you felt like shit for so long right that when you start feeling normal again man it feels really really good (laughs) it it did and uh and you know when we finally went back to in person at SU and I finally got to meet you guys, um, that was sense of relief too. But um, if if you know I'm telling my story here and I you know to be completely honest, I was intimidated. Um, I was kind of like taken back, like no nobody's fault but my own. But I was like, damn man, this is a this is a big group of dudes, man. And uh, how about I just sit here and not you know not say shit for a little while in which which i get now you know it's it's not necessarily a bad idea but um if you do it too long it's not a, not such a good idea um but getting to know um you know some of the guys i latched on to uh you know bobby and i were were got got real close um and of course alex um and jared but i i, I kind of stayed to myself mm-hmm. um i'd be that dude that would would get there in a meeting and then when the meeting's out kick see y'all thanks see you next tuesday um and once 
you know that's that's an easy habit to get or once you once i got into that habit it was it's it's hard to break um you know you know i said that you know i was right where i was supposed to be um but then on the other hand i'm like well i felt you know i was uneasy like you know felt uncomfortable and uh Actually, I think it might have been you, Dan, or, or or Jared both. I think my second or third month in there, um, I, I chaired um, the meetings for a month. Um, and I believe you kind of helped me. Like, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to get all your leads um, set up. Um, that way you don't have to chase them down. Uh, I think it was on Zoom. So it had to be my first two or three months. Um Cause I remember I called Fred. Fred did a lead for me. Frank did a lead for me. Um, Jared. But anyway, so my my first year, I kind of piddled through the work, to be honest with you. But um, I was going to meetings. Um, I've never missed a, a, a Tuesday night meeting. Um, I'd go to three or four other meetings a week. Um, and stayed in it, man. Um, didn't always share. Um but I knew I had to stay in the middle of stuff or I was scared to death. And, and I've talked to Ross, man, I'm still, man, like I do stuff all the time, like recovery based and like in the meetings and, and, you know, service and stuff. And I, and I'm still to this day, like, man, I'm afraid that if I don't stay in the middle of this stuff, I don't know. I don't want a chance. I don't want to know what's going to happen. If Me I don't. too, man. Um, that's why, I, that's why I do what I do. That's why I do these podcasts. That's why I do what I do It's because I, don't want to go back to the other place. I don't know if I need to do this much to stay sober. I don't know, but I ain't chancing it. That's <laughs> I, I I totally get it. Um, so I've I've you know since the day I got out of, of, of treatment, man, I've I've tried to 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 stay in the middle of it one way or another. Um, whether it's you know giving people rides uh, to and from meetings or or uh, chairing meetings or uh, whatever you know doing outreach um i don't i don't want to know like what the bare minimum well, is bobby's meeting and then the disease took him out of the game and you pay, pretty much picked up the loose end on that yeah um you go out and feed homeless people every sunday and at least i don't know what else more for sure but at least that much and doing stuff that uh again this this weird dynamic that when I, if, if when I start focusing on helping other people, then my life goes better. It don't make any sense because <laughs> the only thing I was worried about was me to begin with. Right. When I transfer that over to start helping you, uh, I, I start being a little more lucky. <laughs> it's like you said that bad luck thing earlier, you know? Yeah. Act, active, I say this a hundred times too. Active alcoholics and addicts have the worst luck ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the luck is just shit, man. Not very uh, good at it. Yeah, people, people, they just every turn, man. It's like the wrong turn. But then you start doing this way of life, and all of a sudden, this luck starts hitting you. And things start working out for you, and uh, the cards fall your way. And... Yeah, it's I'm uh, to mention Bobby, man. I, 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 um, I can't not you know speak to to you know our our friend and our brother that we that we did lose to this disease um bobby and i got real close man um uh 
you know, in recovery and, and, you know, relapse was a part of his story and uh, we had conversations and he always said, man, I'm afraid if I go back out, I'll never come back. I won't make it back. I won't make it back. And, uh, that was tough, man. Um, you know, not to tell his story, you know, he, he did manage to go back out and he did manage to not make it back. And, uh, I miss that dude every day. Um, you know, I think he was the quintessential. You hear this said that, you know, I, I know I got one more drunk in me, but I don't know if I got one more sober in He didn't, you know, that, I don't know. I, again, you know, I'm speaking to out of, out of just my, just my opinion is that, uh, the ego, the pride and ego would not let him come back again. He couldn't come back and say, I fucked up again. Yeah. And I, uh, and that's what, hard to do. Yeah. And when we, uh, I was actually with his sister when she got the phone call, um, that they had found him. Um, and that was tough, man. And I, uh, Bobby would text me, you know, when he was out and he would, he wouldn't text his family. Um, and he'd be like, you were about the only person he would talk to, wasn't it? I think there was everybody a, else or not a, I think there was a couple none, I think there was a couple um you know I, I you know I, I struggled with that you know after we lost him that you know maybe there was something I could something do you should have done more or whatever yeah. all that bullshit um and my man right next to me Ross that's really when we started to get close is uh you know Ross helped me a ton with that um whole situation um Cause he, he, we were on a fishing trip and he had, when I quit responding, um, Ross had communicated with him, um, once or twice. And, uh, you know, I had that, I don't even, I, they, they say this word survivor's guilt and not to downplay and stuff. I'm not even sure, you know, if that's what it was or what it is, but it's like, I just felt guilty that I, I, you know, maybe I, maybe I could have done something, but, um, I did everything I could do. And, and, um, the fact of the matter is, yeah, there's. I wasn't the reason that he that what happened happened, and and there was really nothing I could have done to make things yeah. different. Yeah. Um, There's than, no way to know how to play that card, you know. Uh, I I err towards probably I err towards the I'm not going to give you no help. If you want help, I'll help you. But I'm not going to do it, you know, because one thing is is I know that I can't. Yeah. Nothing I can do. I don't have that magic word that that girl's that that dude's sister wanted that would make you change your mind and come back here but i can totally understand what you're saying you know you, you know do you tough love it or do you friend them up or do you what 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 did what do you do who knows yeah um and that was the that was tough it's still man it's it's, it's a rough deal because you just still got to wrestle with it man it it's was traumatic it really is man and um but you know, I was I was was told and, and, and taught and walked through, you know, I gotta find the lesson in that. Mm-hmm. Um and uh the lesson is for me is that, that that could easily very easily be me if I quit staying in the middle of this shit. And I I, I refuse I'm I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. I hate the saying, but it's I feel that it has some truth in it that some people gotta die so the rest of us can live. You know, there's a, this example of what happens if I don't continue to participate in my own recovery. I'm just as liable to be where he is too. Yeah. Every bit of it. And eight years sober, I I still feel that way as strongly as I did when I was one year sober. Yeah. And that was my first uh 
I guess uh, I don't want to say try or my my first real life event sober um, to you know dealing with dealing with real life stuff without um, drowning it out. You know I I've dealt with death before. Um, you know through college I had a couple friends that died, um, but I masked that. You know I didn't. You know I I never dealt with that stuff. I never yeah. grieved properly, and uh, I never even really registered it as being alcoholism or being you know and that's what and maybe you're not talking about that but I had a number of friends over my lifetime that this disease took mm-hmm. and like I said that hijacked operating system I had would not register that that's really what killed him yeah John killed himself he shot a, he took a pistol and he shot himself in the head I thought he killed himself no today I know alcoholism killed that dude Glenn same thing he went behind his garage, put a bullet in his head. And I thought, damn, why did Glenn kill himself? Glenn didn't kill himself. Alcoholism killed yeah. him. Made him look like and he did I it. had a number of people who died in drunk driving accidents. I can think of two right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, but did that stop me? Not one bit, man. No. The disease camouflaged it out, so that'll never happen to me. And then yeah. you get sober. And the old saying, you know, the good thing about getting sober is you get your feelings back. And the bad thing is you get your feelings back. And then when you lose somebody like that. And, you, and it's funny, too. And not funny. It's it's odd how so many of us seem to have to go through some stuff like that in early recovery. It's almost like a little bit of like a forging your recovery kind of thing in a way. Uh, that I'm going to have... Like my mom passed when I was 14 months sober and I had to deal with that you know and dealing with that made my recovery stronger you know not that that's what we want to happen but it, that, that story happens a lot that when people are in their first couple of years of recovery they will have some crises they have to deal with that jeopardize it and you know and like I said it's like a forging iron thing or something you know it makes you that much stronger i think the same thing about people who got sober in covid it was hard so therefore you your recovery is a little solider because it because you know i know some people who got sober easy you know and i don't think much of that <laughs> they don't look real strong to me right i uh yeah man <coughs> excuse me like i said uh it was tough, man, and I uh, I held on to that for for probably longer than I should, but um, <laughs> it uh it's made me stronger. Um, it it really has, and and uh, I know at least one life it saved. Um, and he just celebrated this past month. Um, that uh, I don't think if um, I'm not going to say if it wasn't for Josh. Yeah, it was. You know. That's I kind of said that in when I spoke the other night that he's got that special <laughs> place in my heart because uh, I forgot who else said I think I think Charlie might have said it dude when he when he looks at Josh he sees you know he he sees Bobby and uh, uh, I don't know man it's just uh, it's super cool that to see him to get that three sixty five yeah yeah for, for sure you know one of the downsides is is that you know. I didn't feel like I knew Bobby that well. You know, he did come to the retreat to one, last year, whatever. You know, hell, what was that, two months before? Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably got to know him that weekend as much as I got to know him altogether. Although he did share freely and stuff, but 
Um, he just wasn't around that long. We lost a guy a few years ago named Jesse, mm-hmm. and I knew Jesse for years. You know, Jesse was getting a white chip at the same time I was, but he kept on disappearing and getting one and disappearing. And this was the first time that he had got a year. I think I took him, I think I watched him for seven years, something like that. I can't remember, six, it wouldn't have been seven. I think he, maybe he said seven. But for quite a while, watched him try and try and try. And when he finally got a white chip, or when he finally got a one-year token, uh, I couldn't have been happier for anybody to get a one-year token. And damned if it wasn't, he didn't make it to two. Yeah, it's uh, they always, you know, that it's a big lesson, man. And you know, you get these people in here, and they want to kind of play with it, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of lose my patience with dudes who want to dick around with this a little bit. And act like it's really no big deal. Uh, and it somewhat blocked me from wanting to even get in it. Really, it'll a little bit block me from wanting to get to know you. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be here long. And I don't want the hurt of getting to know you real good and then you're gone. And I'm not, I don't do any of that consciously. But I have trouble with people who don't want to take this serious. Yeah. And it's, uh, I kind of like, when I first came in the rooms and I, you know, you'd hear somebody not making it and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and some of the people around are just like, yep, you know, you stick around long enough, you know, and I, it, that didn't sink in until, I mean, there was, there was 28 people in my, uh, my wing at Landmark. Um, and within a year of me being, you know, leaving there, nine of them were dead. Yeah. So, um, it's real, man. Like this disease does not care. Um, and another reason why I ain't, I'm not chancing it, man. I'm going to stay right where I'm at for sure. So tell me a little about what, like in sobriety. So, um, what's been going on since the, tell me some of the cool stuff that's happened since you got sober. Man, uh, gosh. Just uh, life in general actually has just, uh, I, I wake up um, early, you know, I've, I've got a routine in my life now. Um, Ain't it a trip to wake up early feeling good? I'm telling you, man. And, and uh, you didn't ever know how bad you felt. No. And it's, but you had some pretty bad stuff and I understand, but like to actually be, have the ability to wake up early in the morning and get out of bed and be ready to go. And, and looking it's crazy and looking forward to it, man. And, and not, uh, you know, not having to wake up and, and worry um, about anything, you know, um, I, I used to have, you know, I would have to wake up and, and, uh, well, feel like crap, man. And, and, uh, worry if I still have a job and stuff, man. But did you work, do you work at the same place you did? I do. Um, actually that's one of the, the, the miracles that's happened in my life. Um, the position I was in was kind of monotonous. It was kind of like answering the phone. Um, you could train a monkey to do the things I was doing and, um, the, a position came available, um, about eight months ago, um, or about six months ago for, uh, project management. Um, it was going to go on salary, um, as a, a pretty decent pay raise. Um, and I threw my name in the hat, man. I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm kind of, kind of bored with what I'm doing now. Let's just see what happens. And, uh, in my head, the, the, there was two positions open and there was two positions, two people currently doing it. And, um, I probably wasn't going to get the job, but I was going to do it anyway. So, um, I put my application in, man, and uh, had an interview, um, had another interview, 
And, uh, man, I got the job. Um, one of the guys decided he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and, and I was chosen. Um, yep, and this is the same place that knows how bad you once were. The same place that I called um, Human Resources yeah. and, and uh, yeah, so. 36 day leave of absence because like when you heard like earlier in life you were talking about how like it felt like you kind of had a stigma on you because under the bushes at the football game kind of thing you know and i know that's another thing we're afraid of here is that the stigma of going to human resources and telling them is going to like absolutely man i was uh retard my progress in my career and stuff and it actually ends up being the opposite it's a blessing man i i got the position and uh here the the First two weeks of, of um, September, they're sending me to the Netherlands for two weeks. Um, I've got a corporate credit card, American Express. They gave me a cell phone. I'm like, do they realize who they're giving this yeah, stuff to, right. man? Um, I, they paid for my passport, man. Um, I'm, uh, it, it's a it's a new um, line of machines that were that were manufacturing over there, and I'm on the the quoting process. So I'm, I'm from the ground up. Um, I'm a good employee, man. I show up early. Um, I, I do my job. Um, I, I don't punch a clock anymore. They're like, you know, you're grown, grown people, grown adults. Um, we trust that you, you're going to, you know, do your work. And if you want to cut out a couple hours early, you know, that's fine. And, and to think now me having that freedom and not, um, not abusing it or, or not um, trying to take advantage of it. It's a miracle. Um, it, it really is. And for me, I, I would have never even applied for this position um, two or three years ago. Um, a, I wouldn't have cared. B, there's no way I'd ever been hired. Um, <clears throat> That's kind of like when you get, like, to get real shallow sometimes with people who are new, I'll tell them, you are going to make more money if you get sober. You know, because I don't even know that who gives a shit really, right? Yeah. It's, but it's nice. But just trying to like put those cherries in front of the, on top of the deal, you know, you are going to be better looking, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> than, than if you will get sober. And it's uh, it, it's super cool because the the lady that I spoke to um, when I told her about what was going on in HR, um, you know, she she's been a she's been a godsend. You know, she'll she'll check on me, and um, you know, I can talk to her about anything, and and we've kind of become buddies. And mm-hmm. I get a message from her last Thursday. Um, saying, Hey, I've got a couple, um, questions in regards to recovery. You don't need to answer them if you don't want. I said, recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. So she asked me, she goes, um, she's trying to place an employee, you know, give him some options because obviously they're going through it. She asked me how my experience was where I went. Did I have any other suggestions? And it was super cool that, you know, she came to me because she could see what it's done for me. Um, and is asking me to help you know, yep. maybe put this person um, where they need to be. So yeah. then you get that in a was position where you can help these other people. And then you actually, it's, you know, we do, we get a gold star for getting sober. Probably don't necessarily, you know, at <laughs> right. some level, I think, well, you know, you really don't necessarily, we shouldn't really deserve that, but we do. The fact of the matter is you get more props for getting sober than if you just done the right thing all the time. Yeah. And, and for her to reach out to me and, um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, we That's don't cool. deserve gold stars, but it just made, it was, it was super cool. I'm yeah. like, you know, absolutely. I, I told her, you know, Hey, it, it, I know it's a privacy thing. And, and, but anytime you need me, you know, just, I'm more than happy That's to speak with anybody. Too, I said, like, you know, you can, my enemy's out the window. And so if I can be of help, uh, I'm ready. Yeah. You know, wow. I didn't, you know, my doctor, 
Uh, he's actually retired now, but uh, told him the same thing. And he goes, well, I, I can't really do that because of HIPAA. And I like, uh, well, just know that feel free to give. If you got people coming in here that's got problems with dope and, dope and booze, you can have them contact me. And I'll be damned if he didn't. You know, uh, oh, you know, uh, Dr. Karam said I could call you. <laughs> like, yeah, he thought a lot about that HIPAA thing, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Well, it comes to saving somebody's life, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the miracles. Like I said, I, I, I've never left the country. Married a relationship with your mom, and yeah, she doesn't have to worry about you anymore. You bring your dad exactly. to birthday meetings and other meetings. My dad's my biggest fan, man. Like, um, we kind of, once that, once they separated, we kind of, um, had our outs, you know, just me being 12, 13 years old. And, um, but we couldn't have a better relationship ever. Um, he, he's my, he is my number one fan. Um, every time I see him, he tells me, you know, how proud he is of me and that, um, <clears throat> they don't have to worry anymore. Um, he was scared to death. I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, just, obviously, you can tell as I, as I spoke how close I am to my mother, um, her peace of mind, um, to, to not have to worry about me, um, me being able to be there for her. I recently, um, another um, kind of tough time in, in sobriety, about two and a half, well, April 23rd, um, my stepfather um, passed away unexpectedly. He uh, had, a, had a heart attack, and two days later, um, he wasn't with us anymore. Um, but being able to be there, um, emotionally, um, being present for my mother, um, not make his death all about me. Oh my gosh. You know, he, my stepfather died. How, you know, um, I was able to be there emotionally and, 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 uh, and I'm still in this day. Um, I'm over there, you know, I, I get to help her, um, you know, take care of the pool. She wasn't going to do the garden. We got to do that. And just being able there to go over there and just let her just listen, just let her talk. Um, thank God I'm sober um, and, and able to be present um, for her because that's the least I owe her. Um, yeah. The absolute least. But um, it was tough. Um, and again, I, I couldn't, I'd, I'd be. Uh, wouldn't be right for me not to mention Ross again in, in this situation. Um, you know, I always heard, you know, AA, you know, our people show up for us. And, um, I was in Ross's pocket the whole time <clears throat> as this was going on, man. And, and, uh, the Sunday morning, um, ended up being the day that, that my stepfather passed. Um, I turn around and, and Ross walks in, you know, walks on the floor. I didn't know he was going to be there. Didn't know he was coming. Um, and we we held we were all there um including ross um when he took his last breath and um i didn't realize how much i needed him there um until he was there um helped me be strong so that's another gift of this program is to have people in your life that um they care about you um care about your family um as much as i um you know care about them it's uh the 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 fellowship I've always sought or always needed I guess or wanted craved um, craved there you go <laughs> um, I've got it man yep um, and and thank God I do um, I've I've for for thirty or thirty five years man I've never smiled this much I've never laughed this much I was scared to death that when I got sober shit wasn't gonna be fun. Um, I've had more fun in sobriety than I've had um, in my in my life. Yeah. Um, 
it's uh I can't say enough um, about what this shit's done for me. Um, Everybody, I don't want to insult any people that were my friends before, but what I thought was had friends in the past, this has superseded that beyond my wildest dreams of friends that I have today. And that's another reason about like the same thing about leverage on the scale and not going back out. Uh, you know, I don't want to give that up. <laughs> no. You know, I know they'll still like me. You know, they'll still be my friends. But there's a thing about working this, doing this work, and like joining this fellowship of the spirit part of it that uh, I've made a pact with all these guys to not do that, and they've made a pact with me. So we'll do that together. You know, and it's hard for us to much. it's hard for us to disappear anymore. At least yeah. for myself, you know, yeah. if I if no I disappear and acts here. The, um, people that genuinely care about me will make will will come find me. Will call me. Will um, will make sure that 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 I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and and that's a miracle, man. Um, that's uh, that's what true friends are. And and these this this group of guys that I'm around um, sincerely fucking love me and and care about me um, and only want the best for me and don't want anything back. Right. Um, and what's better than that? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yep. That's why that line in that book and Scott Lee made it. You know, I've read it, but he may put meaning into it about that. Just that meaning behind that. He will help you create the fellowship you crave. And he goes, I had no idea that's what I was craving. Because early on, that's what I was trying to do to buddy up and get friends. Yeah. You know, uh, that was part of my early drinking and using was an attempt to get friends, to make friends. And there I spent that whole time unsuccessfully doing it and get here, and then I finally get them. And, and thank God I can be myself. Um, I can be me, and people are going to yeah. and people are gonna love me, and I, and I can deal. I, I can wake up and look me in the mirror and be just fine. Yeah. Um, I have confidence that anything that happens, I'm with this going to be okay. You know, uh, I'm no longer afraid of life, uh, no matter what I go through. I know that I've got support. I don't have to flounder around on my own. You know, we're going to have those times. And, you know, and that's, you said it a minute ago, you know, AA shows up for each other. If, if they don't do anything else, they do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, they do a lot more than that, but it's interesting because you go to AA funeral or something, man, it's like packed. Uh, you know, the other thing is I go to some funerals where I'm wondering if it's actually happening. You know, yeah. nobody's there. Yeah, um, it's 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 been amazing. Um, I uh, thank God I found um, AA. Um, thank God I've I've formed a relationship I've formed with with my higher power um, that allows me to be myself um, and be comfortable in my own skin. Um, I don't know what took me so long to get here. Um, but I'm here. Yeah, it takes what it takes. Who uh, knows? But. I got I got drilled really hard by my sponsor to stop worrying about why it took so long. Because I wanted to do that dance too, you know. Then I started heading into this remorse thing about why I waited so long. And uh, got my track showed straightened up on <laughs> on that that way of thinking. So much of it is just a way, an outlook, and a perspective, and a way of. This way of operating that was all new to me to not make that heavy going of life 
to make everything about you, like you said, right. like you know. And I see that lots, you know, about people pass away, you know, and you know, look like like they died on me. You yeah, know? that's what, uh, it's all about me. The opposite, the selfish, self-centered stuff, man. And you know, the, this is definitely uh, the antidote for selfish, self-centered. Because we come in here and we learn how to care about you, and and that fixes us somehow, some magic way. Any closing thoughts, man? Uh, man, I don't think so, man. I I super appreciate the. I know I got the invite quite some time back, um, but uh, I don't think I was ready to do it, man. But uh, thanks uh, to the little birdie that that uh, let you know I was. I'm interested in doing because it, man. If people don't want to do it, or or maybe it's don't want to. Maybe it's not really that they don't want to, but they, for whatever reason, can't kind of, or you know, choose not to, or whatever. You know, that's okay with me. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I won't wait till you want to. Right, and uh, I appreciate it, Dan, and I appreciate you you doing this, man. Um, it's and for everything that you do for us. Well, thank you, um, man. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, this um, is. Always. Thank you, too. Uh, it's some of that same thing, man. It's a self-preservation kind of thing. I know as long as I keep doing this, I'll keep getting, you know, we there's that old saying, keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. That works this way, too. Right. Uh, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll keep getting what I'm getting. And um, So, yeah, man, I thank you for coming in. Proud of you, you know. And, you know, as you get some time, you get to watch these guys come in the door and come in kicking their shoestrings and watch them blossom into the men they're supposed to be you know or can be and you're one of them and that always you know just keeps on stacking up proof on your because everybody doubts if it you doubted if this would work for you in the beginning everybody comes in here and thinks it's like i said it's one of them top i think it's five or so i need to write that book someday the top five myths one of them is is you're never gonna have any more fun right you know and this won't work for me uh i won't have any friends uh and all that is myths. It's baloney, and you think it won't work for you. And uh, and when you get sober, actually, even today, that like stacks up more proof on my side of the scale that this does work because that disease is still in there. That parasite, that fungus, whatever it is, is still in there, trying to plant doubt. It's still trying to. It's trying to say this is some kind of con game, and I've got myself conned into believing it works. So for now, it does, but someday it's going to fall out. And every time I watch somebody else get it, that puts more weight on that side of the scale that that shows me how real this really is. Uh, So thank you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Ross, for sitting in with us today. You can say hi. Hello. Uh, Ross, it's the longest Ross has ever went without talking. (laughs) That's a true story. World record. It's been an honor. So, we'll close her up like we always do. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, you're not doing it right. And thank you all for allowing Brian, Ross, and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. Peace out.